Did you know locums docs make, on average, 33% more than employed docs? Got your attention now? So, if you're considering locum tenants, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or maybe even 20. Locumstory.com is packed with unbiased information and tools to see what the trends are in your specialty and even make a decision if locums is right for you. My advice? Make locumstory.com the go-to place to learn more about locum tenants. That's locumstory.com. All right, Dr. Trevor Cabrera, the nomadic physician. What's up? What's good? Welcome to Docs Outside the Box. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good, nice good. Where are you located here. at, man? Uh, currently, I'm in Augusta, Maine, Central Maine. <laughs> Central Maine. So when I think of Augusta, I think about Georgia. But okay, so there is an Augusta in Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like for those who are watching on YouTube, it looks like he's in an extended stay. It has that typical appearance of you got the hotel door with the exit right behind you, the exit map behind you, and then you got microwave, refrigerator, and all the things that you need to do, a mini kitchenette. Stovetop there, yep. Stovetop so you can cook if you're going to be there for an extended period of time. So you are a locums pediatric, uh, pediatric physician. And let's jump right into this. How long have you been doing locums now? Um, I, so I'm actually a relative new grad, so I've been doing it since I finished residency 2020. And I mean, like immediately started straight into locums, did nothing else right out of training. Okay. So Uh, all you know is locums coming out of uh, fellowship or coming out of residency. So uh, kind of, not not entirely actually. So I I meant to, I meant to do purely locums, but because of COVID, pediatrics took a huge hit. So unlike the rest of the world, seeing tons of uh, people getting sick and medicine, kids stayed home, they didn't get sick as often. So the census for us went down. So actually, when I started working, I couldn't find work, uh, consistent work for several months. I lived paycheck to paycheck. I lived like month to month waiting for locum work. I thought about quitting. Um, Wait, quitting what? Quitting locums. I thought about going to a permanent job because I couldn't find work. So that was 2020 for me. I literally, it would be the end of October and I didn't know if I was working November, but I would be sitting there just waiting for my recruiter to call me and be like, hey, there's a new job. And then fast forward to uh, last summer, uh, June, 2021, I had an opportunity for kind of, there was a locum to perm kind of job, but instead of us working a locum and then converting to permanent, they actually decided before I even started, they wanted to sign a permanent contract. So I did work as a permanent provider at this hospital in uh, middle nowhere, New Mexico, where I was there for 15 days a month. But the contract was effectively set up like a locum contract, but I was actually an employee as a permanent provider of the hospital. So it was kind of like a, a, a quasi kind of mix of both. So it's been kind of interesting because I've gotten to see both sides of it. I mean, that was a W-2 job. That was a job with some benefits. I got to, I, I had to be forced with some of the administration stuff, but it wasn't true permanent job because they still paid for my hotel. They paid for my rental, some uh, CME stuff. I kind of just worked that into the contract, I guess. But uh, it, it was effectively, basically, in my mind, just a locum. <laughs> gotcha. So, gotcha. So, how about, so how about this? Let's, let's take a step back. Let's take a step back. Two years ago, you were finishing up your residency. Yeah. I'm sure the, re- the majority of the rest of your um, of your current residents were thinking about graduating and going into their respective jobs. I'm assuming most of them hospital employed. Um, talk to us about why you decided to do locums. So most people that I actually know in pediatrics too, a lot of them, yeah, they went to clinic or some went to hospital, some went to fellowship. Um, you know, some private, some academic, all those different parts of it. 
For me, actually, it was kind of a hard situation because I, I actually went back and forth on doing fellowship myself. And I actually was forced to make a tough decision because of the AAP. Um, as of 2020, there was a new, um, a new certification that the American Academy of Pediatrics is pushing, which is for PHM, Pediatric Hospital Medicine. So as of 2020, anybody that graduates is being forced or required to do peds hospital medicine fellowships. So what that kind of put me in the situation was- So was, basically what you're saying is if you graduate from a pediatrics residency, if you want to do pediatric hospital list, you have to be board certified in a fellowship. That is what they're trying to create. Correct. Got you. And that's what you, you want to be a pediatric hospitalist. No, not necessarily. I wasn't sure because I like the I like intensive care. So gotcha. I didn't know okay. I didn't know which fellowship I wanted to do, but I knew that as of 2020, unlike my colleagues before me, I couldn't jump straight into hospital medicine because right now the fellowship's not required across the country, but in 15 years it might be. You know, and so it my th my thought was, well, I'll go take a year to do locums and then mm. I'll figure out, do I want to go back for pediatric ICU, neonatology? Do I want to go back for pediatric emergency medicine or pediatric hospital medicine? So was this a conversation that you're having in your mind or is this a conversation that you're having with your attendings, your fellow residents? Talk to us about that whole deliberations. Uh, mainly myself, mainly myself trying to figure out what like specialty within pediatrics I wanted to do. Because this is third year now, like third year, like, so how did even locums get into your mind? Like, who told you about locums? Because that's the other thing, because I think a lot of times people struggle with these decisions, but they're just like, well, I didn't ever even heard about locums until this point. Yeah. Did yeah, that happen I, to you? It did. Um, and so, you know, for us, uh, as, a, as a pediatric resident, we train in huge academic centers. It's, we're not in the rural places. And that's an important distinction because where I trained, there was no such thing as a locum. Like I'd never heard of it. And my residency program was big. We had about 30 residents per class. So out of, um, I would say out of 200, 150, 200 pediatricians I've met, zero or two of them have done locums, like at oh, wow. all. And okay. one of them did it as a bridge to his permanent job. Um, and another one did it just for a short time in the past. So um, for me, it was second year of a residency. A locum agency came to talk to us. It's actually interestingly an agency that I don't, I don't work with, but they came to talk to us and I heard about the idea. And when I heard about it, at first I wasn't sure. Um, and then when I got towards third year, I kind of started talking to agencies a little bit more and was like, huh, this is a short term idea. And so I can figure out applying to fellowship. I'm only going to do it for a year. We'll see what happens. Um, but then I didn't find work very, I didn't find enough work. And so I decided, well, I'm going to extend this. And it wasn't just for the when fact. You, but when you say work, what do you mean? What like I literally about? did not have work. This is your third year or is this when you graduated when and I you're graduated. working locums? When I graduated. So the plan okay. was graduate. Just, we're just trying to keep the timeline yeah. right for the for the listeners so they can clarify. So now you have graduated <laughs> and now you are look you are working locums and you're thinking, sh uh, should I try to find a permanent gig versus continue locums? No, I'm, I'm graduating. July and I can't find consistent locum work for eight months. Oh, wow. So I'm, you're not I'm, working at all. No, I'm, I am. So I'm like I was saying, I'm living like month to month. So the, oh, the one job that I had in Huntsville, Texas in July, 2020, they didn't have their schedule until the end of each month. 
So oh, I didn't know if I was getting you. any shifts. That's what so, I'm saying. Dr. Trevor, man, you got to be clear with this. All right. So you were working <laughs> at a spot. They would do their schedule on a month-to-month basis, but you don't know if you're going to be a part of that schedule until that that month schedule comes out, like maybe a week before the next month, correct? Right. Or something? So that's what I'm saying. Gotcha. So that's what happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I said 2020 that happened. And I did that and I lived month to month and thought about, well, shit, I can't find consistent work. Mm-hmm. They're running out of days. Do I need to consider stopping locums and taking a permanent job? Gotcha. I didn't want to take a permanent job. But then in, in 2021, the next year, I kept working at that same site. And then it still was so unstable that I decided to take a, that semi-permanent job in New Mexico to make sure I had some consistency while the locum market was starting to come back. This episode is brought to you by locumstory.com. Backdrop. 2012, finishing my fellowship in Miami, and no decision bigger than where and how I was going to start working on my own. And there it was, the fork in the road. Being employed versus something I had never heard of before, locum tenants. So I decided to go the locums route, and I had a ton of questions then. I stumbled a bit, but eventually I was able to stand on my own, and I have been working locums over the past 10 years. Now, what about you? If you're considering locums, you probably have hella questions just like I did. Like, who covers my malpractice? Do I really have control over how often I work? And what are the tax implications? Now, lucky for you, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from docs just like you. And there's nothing to sell here. It's just a simple resource for information, like finding out what's the average pay rate for your specialty. There's even a quiz to see if locums is right for you. So listen, take my advice. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. That's locumstory.com. So what was it like when you were telling your, your, your fellow residents that, hey, I know you're going to be going to this clinic spot. I know you're going to be going to this academic spot. I'm good. I'm just going to be looking at locums. What was that conversation like? Everybody in the world thought I was crazy. My mentor directly, my mentor, who was one of the two pediatricians I told you that I had met that did locums, he did it for a short time before he became a full staff attending, right out of training also, but only for a very short time. He literally told me, I I wouldn't do that. I would recommend you, or he said, be careful. Don't jump around from place to place because it's going to look bad. They're going to say, why are you jumping from place to place? Why can't you hold a steady job? Um, And that was the big, that was one of the big things I was told. Um, And a lot of people were just confused. They didn't quite know what it was. um, And they still don't entirely understand it because I do it to an extreme. I mean, I do it a little bit more extreme than, you know, some people, if they're doing locums one week a month, I do more than that. (laughs) So when you, when it was time to graduate, I'm sure when it's time to graduate and you are looking at the presentations and your fellow resident is going here, your, your resident is going there. And it probably says for you, you know, Dr. Trevor Cabrera, locums, full-time locums or whatever. Yeah. What, was, what, what was that like? I mean, it was hilarious. Everyone was confused. And we had a Zoom graduation because it was COVID, right? Mm, so gotcha. you see everyone's name goes up and they, they, it was like a presentation. And the, the, the second part, just to throw this in there to give you a background of who I am, I kind of forgot I had graduation. So I was in my kitchen drunk cooking some mushroom risotto. 
And I'm sitting there on the Zoom, just cooking risotto while everybody's Y'all hear this, girl? Y'all hear this? <laughs> he forgot about his graduation. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I'm sitting there drunk, just cooking some fancy-ass mushroom risotto. And so they're, like, all talking, right? And in the chat box on the side, everyone, like, literally 200 people watching. They're like, Trevor, what are you cooking? And I'm standing there cutting mushrooms. Everyone else's head is just sitting there, right, watching. I'm cutting mushrooms. I'm cooking. I'm like, oh, I'm making mushroom risotto. And uh, <laughs> they're, they're, everything goes up on the board. And then it says locum tenens for me. And, you know, I definitely got flooded with a bunch of messages, not, you know, not just from uh, my peers I'd talked to, but everyone else is like, what is that? Like, people didn't know because, like I said, it wasn't talked about. I mean, I heard about a second year residency, but I'd never met a locum. So, so why, I, why, why, didn't, why didn't that scare you? Like, why didn't that, even to that point, you're like, man, am I really making the right decision? <laughs> I mean, I could, I could be wrong. You may have already had those thoughts. Like, well, were you at that point? Like, mm, it's not going to work. Yeah, I was freaked out. Um, I did, I made the decision a couple months before graduating. Mm -hmm. And then I was freaked out uh, when I made the decision in third year. I was freaked out at graduation. And I became more freaked out, you know, every day when I couldn't find consistent work. So when I graduated, I don't think I even had a locum job set up. I was just hopeful and optimistic that it'd come back. And so I grinded every single day to like try to find work. So what was um, that? What was... So the next day after graduation, you have no job. You don't yeah. have any perspectives at this moment. Uh, financially, were there any preparations that you made right before graduating? Like, did you save up any amount of money? Did you have an emergency fund? Talk to me about that. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I did. Um, I saved up for uh, a couple of months. But the main thing that I tried to save up on was to make sure that I had enough to pay my loans back when the federal loan, um, when I... Since you finished residency, when they start requiring payments to come back. Mm -hmm. The big thing that saved me was COVID in some ways. I mean, it hurt because I didn't have work. But on the flip side, the, the you know the federal government froze my loans. Gotcha. So I was lucky to escape by. I also did things like extreme couponing. Like, man, I would that's what That's what I want to know about your lifestyle. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's talk about how you were able to yeah. pay for food. Like, did you save for food, couponing, rent, all of that stuff? Like, so you had to save for all that, right? Yeah. I okay. uh, And, you know, I think, you know, no offense to most... And where did you live? Where were you living? I, so I still lived in my apartment in Houston. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, you know, that's where my residency was. So I lived in my apartment in Houston, uh, third, the same apartment, third year through graduation. And what I did was the way I thought about it was I saved enough money to pay rent. And I set aside money for food for a couple months before I graduated. And then each month I kept kind of reassessing that uh, to make sure that I had enough. You know, and the nice thing is locums pay well enough compared to a resident salary that me working, if I got a good week, seven days of work in a month, I wasn't going to make money, but I could survive till the next mm -hmm. month. Gotcha. So, um, and that's so, so sorry. So go to, to back up. So I'm not in order here. The pre, the plan before I graduated, I did save up a safety fund. And this was really because I couldn't find work. And then when I graduated, I kept every month I had to reassess, am I at the right point for the safety fund? Do I need to do I need to consider stopping locums because my safety fund is going down? And that's where that mentality came in. So went from graduation to when you first started your first locums gig, how long? What 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 cuz I'm assuming you graduated sometime in June, July 1st you ain't got no job. When did you start working locums? I got offered one shift July 27th, Damn. 2020. One the, shift. The locum job was for one day of coverage to go up for 24 hours to cover uh, deliveries. I went up, I covered 24 hours. I did orientation. Where's this I, at? Where's the first gig at? 
Huntsville, Texas. Huntsville, Texas. Gotcha. And yeah. So, and the nice thing was it was with within driving. So about an hour north of so Texas, three weeks. So you had a job within three weeks of graduating. I had or at least a, an at least an opportunity. <laughs> I had one day of work. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you clarified that. I had within one three day weeks. of work. Got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay. And so I had one day of work. I went up there, sat in the hotel, didn't get called in. I was so confused. I was like a new attending, thought I was going to be seeing patients. But on said, I was sit- sitting there at the hotel on call. I went up there for one shift. I went back home. I called my mom. I'm like, oh my God, they paid me to do this. <laughs> well, hold on. Hold on. Because you didn't get your money yet when you worked there. Right? So, yeah. so when they gave you that July shift... You didn't know if anything was going to turn around for August, right? You didn't know anything about August. You didn't know nothing about September. Okay, perfect. So when you got there, so your recruiter tells you, hey, I found something for you. It's for one shift. It's in July. Um, I'm interested. What was that first day like? Take us through what it was like. Take us through those conversations you were having with your mama, all that stuff. So, you know, the first thing I'll say is when I heard from my recruiter, I was like, oh, shit, good. I mean, I talked to probably a handful of agencies and, and the first job was with Comp Health. And when they called me about this job, I was I thought a little differently. I thought a little bit more aggressively as a new grad. The first thing, way I thought about it was, hey, there's all these different I've got all this different competition from people that are experienced providers. And I straight up told my recruiter, I'm like, look, low ball, I'll go in lower mm. than my competition because I need work. And so I did. I went in low. I got one shift. I I I, I drove up there. I you know was really nervous because I'm a new attending. I just started a new loc- a new job. Uh, you know, and I get all ready for orientation. I go in the next day. I walk into the and, unit. And real quick, before you did that, how mm-hmm. do you remember? You don't have to tell me how much you got paid, but do you remember how you got paid? Was it you got paid like every hour for 24 hours, or did you get paid for uh, you know you work for several hours and then you get to go home? Like how did that pay? Thing work so people can get an understanding of how you got paid. Sure. So there's different schedules and different ways that we get paid because our jobs are are always different, whether we're clinic or inpatient or just on call. Mm-hmm. This job was something we were considered to be just on call. So I had a set amount to be on call for 24 hours. And then every hour that so I So you got worked, paid a certain amount. There's a certain dollar amount to be available for base, 24 hours. Certain base amount to be on, uh, available for 24 hours. Correct. But then within that, um, at this particular job, it included within it four hours of work. Okay. So if I worked one, zero hours, or if I worked four hours, I got, a, I got the same rate. But then every hour after that, if I had to work five hours, then I get one hour of overtime, like what's an hourly rate on top of that. Got you. So if you, let's say you were getting paid $100 for 24 hours. Now, everyone mm-hmm. listening, that's really low. I'm just using that for <laughs> illustrative purposes. If you got $100 for 24 hours, that means that for zero for hour zero to the first to the end of the four hours, you're going to get $100, right? And then if you were in your hospital or excuse me, if you were in your hotel, you know, and you stayed there for the rest of the, you know, whatever, um, 18 hours, you're still going to get a total of $100. But if after four hours you were in the hospital for hour five, hour six, hour seven, hour eight, you would get additional pay, overtime pay past that hundred dollars, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So okay. um, that's that's basically, you know, but but mostly small jobs, the way they're set up like that, it sounds good in your head. You're like, all right, if I'm there for eight hours, well, shoot, I'm going to be making this hourly. But this hospital is so slow mm-hmm. that you, I never hit four hours, almost correct. ever. So um, I took a low, I took a low, low, low salary, and then I go up there for the first shift, and you know I did it so that they, it, I wanted to do that so that they would confirm me. I wanted them to take me, uh, and I wanted to get my foot in the door. 
And that's where I thought very business strategy. I'm like, I could ask for all this money that all the other doctors are asking for. I'm aware of my worth, even though I'm a new grad, but like, let's, let's try to get an actual job. I need food on the table, which is crazy to say as a doctor. Right. But, uh, so I, I get up there, um, I walk in, I meet everyone and I'm like, all right, well, I'm real confused. Cause I don't even know in residency, there's no on-call jobs. You're seeing people the whole time. So I go introduce myself and they're like, all right, we'll call you if we need you. And I leave the hospital and I'm, I'm like, what? really confused. So, you know, I, I'm like, all right. So I drive around the town. I go sit in my hotel room. I'm just hanging out. I'm like, this is, this is weird. What, are, what am I doing? And I remember that night when it got towards nighttime, I actually called the night shift crew to be like, Hey, uh, just wanted to let you know, uh, I'm here if you need anything. And they're like, we know. All right. Why <laughs> yeah. They're like, why, why are you calling? And they're, you know, this is an old town where they're used to the old school pediatricians that, uh, you know, they, they don't call them unless someone's like dying. Right. And uh, you're hearing me like being so uh, uh, eager to be like, Hey, I'm free, but I'm a new grad. I don't know what the yeah, hell I'm doing. They know you're a new grad. Yep. They got it. I, they know I don't, it, yeah. I don't know how much they knew I was a new grad right, right away. Cause I didn't tell everyone the first day. Right. So I think they might have, but um, you know, they didn't know right away. And so I go home the next day and that's it. That's July 28th. I go home. Okay. So, like, so let me, let me ask you a question then. So you yeah. go home the next day. How long did it take before you got your first paycheck? Uh, luckily, the nice thing I will say, and this is something that does differ with locum agencies is the way they pay you. Uh, with working with Comp Health, the one thing I, and I, I don't put any particular favoritism out to be, to be fair, no bias, but with Comp Health, the thing I really, really liked about, like about the company and CHG Healthcare in general is they pay me the next week. Okay. So, so you got paid the next week. So oh, I'm yeah. going to be honest. With you. I'm going to be honest with you. When I, so the first time I started working as a locums, it took me about a month and a half to start working. So I started working late August after I finished my fellowship in, you know, June 30th or 31. I can't remember if June has 30 or 31 days, <laughs> but I worked for two weeks and then I got a paycheck and I'm not going to lie to you. When I got that paycheck, that paycheck was multiple fractions of what my parents got paid in a year, right? Which is something that I've never seen before, right? Like I was so used to a resident salary, which was reasonable. And then all of a sudden I worked two weeks and it's like, whoa, like I've made this significant amount of money. I've never seen this amount of money before. I was extremely happy. I was extremely humble. Um, but also at the same time, I was kind of freaked out. I was like, yo, I don't know what to do with this money, right? <laughs> and so when you saw your paycheck, Right. How did you feel when you first got your paycheck? Now, granted, it's one day, but how did you feel when you saw that paycheck? I kind of felt like I didn't really deserve it for the work I did. Mm. But at the same time, I felt the same way of like, oh, shit, I just made one. I just made a quarter, 25 percent of my monthly salary as a resident in one day. Mm -hmm. But realistically, just and I, not to talk too much about the numbers, but to be totally honest, we should talk about the numbers. It's yeah, okay. well, I, I mean, to right. talk, it's kind of hard because with that first job, it's difficult because, like I said, I settled and it was COVID. Right. But realistically, when I look back at those numbers, the amount that I got paid for that particular job wasn't really more than if I'd taken a permanent job. Sure. It, it, the, like I said, the, the only if I had taken a permanent job, I actually might have gotten paid more for that kind of work. But uh, it came with all the other pros of locums, which is a whole other, you know, a longer conversation, of course. Um, so I, I did I did have those feelings. I did have those feelings as you did of like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. Um, and it was it was actually really interesting. But at the same time, I couldn't 
I couldn't enjoy it or think about it as much because I was I I, I was very very aware of how inconsistent my work was. Mm. So even if I got a big paycheck, you didn't like, really consider it your money. It was like, yo, this is survival money right here. Exactly. I didn't yeah. consider any money my money, and I didn't for a very long time. It gotcha. took months until I got to that point. Because even even when I got to a point where I was out of the hole and I was, let's put it this way, I had an emergency fund at graduation, maybe for two months. And as I went on and that emergency fund grew, like very, very slowly, I was able to project out, okay, four months, five months, whatever. Um, it wasn't um, it wasn't enough though, because my 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 goal, my plan was to entirely move out of my apartment. So I needed an emergency fund that would account for the fact that I didn't have a place to live. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to think much bigger. So so for me, the money was never in the first, like I would say the first year I did locums. I didn't, I wasn't in the black the first year. Mm, Okay, so you were playing catch up in your head, you thought. And I, yeah, and I don't even mean for loans. I mean, I was playing catch up to survive. (laughs) Got you. So how long did it take you before you felt like you were even keel, like you were, you know, floating in water um, with finances? I'm not talking about loans. I'm just talking about just with money that's coming in as a locums. How long did it make you, to you felt like I'm good? So for me, it probably took about eight months. Okay. Uh, but just because of the inconsistency of work, right? Uh, you know, I, I and then think how, how long did it take you to find consistent locums work? A year. It took you a year. Yeah, okay. and that's and that's why the timeline was July graduated, inconsistent locums, February 2021, saved up enough to to get out of my apartment, but still inconsistent locums. March 2021 signed a like locum slash permanent per diem contract in New Mexico so that I could I could fall back on that. When you were doing that per diem work, were you getting paid 1099 or W2? So that's where it uh I was introduced by a locum agency to the hospital, but then immediately they signed me as a permanent person. So I was W2. Got you. So now when you are working, right? Because I I looked at your all the hospitals, excuse me, all of the states that you've been. You've been in several hospitals since. Right. Right now yeah. you are listed as full-time locum. So that means that you are not W2, you are 1099, correct? Correct. Gotcha. I, um, last year about, uh, 75% of my work was W2. And this year I am, well, I guess to be honest, this year I'm about 90% 1099. I did recently take up a new per diem job, but that per diem job, I think has to pay me W2. So, so how do you feel about work in general? Now? Like, how do you feel about, like the skills that you've learned in this locums type of experience? Do you feel like, you know, comparing yourself to how you are now compared to maybe how your partner, or excuse me, how your fellow graduates maybe in their clinic position, their employee position, how do you think you are in comparison to them? Like, what, <laughs> do you think you, do you think like you are behind them? Do you think you're above them? Talk to me about that. So there's two things I will, I will, I will, I guess, gravitate to. There's one, the the physical skills of my job in medicine, and there's two, the business side. Um, one of the one of the reasons I chose to do locums was I felt that I had a lot of oversight and I had my hand held in residency. And mm. frankly, it's different than ten years ago. It's not resident run training anymore. There's a attending doctor in house overnight in the hospital. I could ask for help. So I wanted to leave. I wanted to to get trial by fire. I wanted to put myself in situations where I was out in the middle of nowhere to see if I could broaden those skills 
because when there's not help and or just see how good your skills are in general well i i doubted them and i was like and i still doubt them but i was like you know if i'm out there and no one else can help me i'm gonna have to do this shit like i don't have choice right and i'll give like just some brief examples of that i mean uh last summer uh i helped in part of a to stabilize and resuscitate a 28 week uh, 1200 gram baby in the middle of, uh, in middle of central Maine with a small critical access hospital. And we kept that baby alive for 53 minutes until we could get a neonatal intensive care transport team to pick the baby up. And, you know, fast forward this past uh, couple months ago, I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, responded to my first neonatal code. And it was only my second, I think second successful intubation as a attending but I got it right away because there's no one else that could do it. And I needed to intubate this baby so that we could resuscitate them. And I went in and I remember full code was blown. Uh, they called the full code blue overhead. I go in, there's like 25 people in and like, I'm like, shit, I'm the pediatrician. Mm-hmm. I just worked a 72 hour in a row in-house shift. It was a 72 hour call a uh, job. I did get to leave the hospital for three days. I run in hour 70 and I'm like, I'm just, I got woken up and I'm like, shit, I got to do this. And so I go up and I just intubate the baby. And I, I mean, I'm just, when there's no one else there, it was, it was that fire. And so it, it gave me that kind of uh, encouragement. And at the same time, I mean, another experience I had was I had a baby that blew a pneumothorax uh, which is, you know, where there's a, for anyone listening, the, the lung is collapsed and the baby needed a chest tube. I'd never done one. Um, and so I was lucky that the transport team showed up on time to help me, but I got to learn with them on the job. The neonatal nurse practitioner was like, hey, yeah, I'll show you how to do a chest tube. And so she, we did it and it was a cool experience. And, you know, part of me, me doing these things was my, my original goal over time going, like we said earlier, wanting to go back to fellowship. I wanted some more learning out of residency and doing locums has put me in a situation where I have obtained that. Um, partially by choice and sometimes by force. <laughs> and it's sometimes what I needed to push myself out of the hole. Mm-hmm. In, in that regard, I don't know that I would say, I would say I'm definitely still inferior to a lot of my colleagues that went straight to fellowship, but I've been forced to become more of a leader. I've had to run codes and run, or not full codes, but I've had to run resuscitations and run things that at fellowship, if I were still in, in training, I could always have someone else behind me. So it's forced me to grow and mature in that way, but it's also made me more humble because I realized, shit, the more I meet people, the the less I know. And the more I see variability, the more there is I need to, to learn. Yeah. So, and, I, you know, I think I think that's a really good point because I think that there's the academic, large, you know, tertiary care experience. And then there's the experience that you have. And one of the points that I tell residents and I think one of the things that I learned is it's always good to have a good mix of those type of experiences. Yes. Because if you spend a significant period of your time at academic hospitals, tertiary care hospitals, you're going to get called from a pediatrician or you're going to get called from somebody who's at a, another hospital and they're going to be requesting to either transfer or they're going to be requesting for a consultation. And it's very important for you to understand what kind of capabilities they have at those rural, suburban or just let's just say uh, not as capable facilities as a tertiary care center. And it's very important to understand, you know, what they're doing at these facilities, the great things that they're doing at these facilities so that when you get a consultation, it's not a 
what's the word I want to use? Not an adversarial type of conversation, but really like a collegial uh, type of experience where you're saying, okay, great, thanks, tag, I got it. it. You know, I'll take over. And then also, like you said, like the amount of growth that that you have to undertake when you are at these facilities by yourself and you don't have all of the resources, you don't have, you know, all of these different things that you have at tertiary care centers. It does make you rely on your clinical acumen that much better. Everything that they taught you from a textbook standpoint, everything that they taught you from a physical exam standpoint, like you really got to rely on that. And I can definitely speak to that as someone who immediately finished fellowship. And then I was working in a rural area. And then I did like some work in, in Ghana. It's just like, whoa, like I, I was prepared for this, but I really wasn't prepared for this. And you just feel like you can grow from that. So I appreciate you sharing that. Now, I, I want to ask you about loans. Let's talk about loans real quick. Let's pivot a little bit. Because I, I read one of your one of your posts where you talked about 10 years with the PSLF program, right? Yeah. Versus, so that's a loan forgiveness program, y'all, federal loan forgiveness fro- program versus doing three years with locums. Now, for everybody listening, my man, Dr. Trevor had, what, $315,000 of student loan debt when you finished residency? Yes, that's including all the interest that built up over okay. time. So- how did you, what are you handling? What is your decision? Did you decide to do PSLF or did you decide, did you pay it all off? Or are you paying a significant period off? How are you handling your student loans? So that's a good question. I'm, I'm happy to talk about the numbers on this one because I think it's, this is something that's important. So I do the same thing. I talk to all my residents, all my med students. I'm like, you need to think about these things. The public service loan forgiveness is designed for your loans to be forgiven after 10 years with the caveat that you're working in certain practice settings. You're working in a rural healthcare. You're working in a nonprofit. You're working at the VA. But the differential in how much they're going to pay you for that job versus working in a private job is pretty decent. And then the differential between those private and those, um, those, those academic jobs and locums is very significant. So, you know, let's say that as a general pediatrician, they're, uh, you're making X amount of money to work as, a, as a, an academic center. It's probably 20% more to work in private practice. And at this point, to give you a ballpark, I work a lot. But this year, if I keep up my same work, um, I'm, I'm, I'm on track to possibly make around three times my peers. I think you um, said at one point you're making like what an orthopedic surgeon would make. Yeah. If, if I continue working at the same level that I have this year, then I will. Um, I made more than... Most of the, almost all the pediatricians I know in the last six months, in one year, sorry. So in the last like five, five months uh, is mid-June. So in the last five months, I've already surpassed a one-year salary for everyone I know. So, um, you know, that's where, to, that's where if I continue at this, at this velocity, what I'm looking at, and this, uh, this goes back to the instability of locums, but if I keep the current work I'm doing, there's a potential in the next, the remainder of 2023, there's a or 2022. There's a potential that um, one of those months I'm going to make more in one month than I did an entire year of residency. Okay, that makes sense. And that's what. And it's hard to say that as a pediatrician because you know, for you as as a surgeon and a pediatrician, just so everyone knows, we get the same we get the same residency salary. You know, when we are first year residents, generally for most programs, the, the post-grad year, the resident salary tends to be the same across the board, maybe a little bit of variation, but not astronomical. But then, you know, so for me to be able to do that as a pediatrician is, is frankly unheard of. Um, and so that's where I'm at with my loans now is like, the, you know, like I said, they kind of hard back again, you know, those eight months after training, 
I was in the hole. And, and then about one year after training, when I started to feel more comfortable, I started to put a little bit less. I had a good emergency fund. And then I started channeling everything towards my student loans. So there's two parts of that that's made it really nice. I put a majority towards my loans just because of my lifestyle. I, I don't spend a whole lot personally, but the hidden, the hidden bonus that people don't think about all the time, because I work exclusively locum tenens, I don't pay rent. I don't pay for a car. So I'm saving an additional probably what, 20 to 30 grand a year, probably 50 grand now with gas prices, just based on the fact that the locum agencies reimburse for airfare, hotel, and lodging. Okay, uh, so quick question. Cars. So you don't pay for rent. So people want to know. So you're completely nomadic then. So where does your mail go to? If you are applying <laughs> for something major, let's say you got to get a credit card or someone wants to write to you, Dr. Cabrera, you know, I miss you. Like you're my pen pal, blah, blah, blah. Where, where is your address? Like how, where are you getting your mail? Yeah, that's a good question. So I have a PO box in Texas. Okay. Uh, and also I live at, or I file my taxes essentially at my friend's house in Texas. Um, and uh, I have everything besides that still in the name of Texas, my license, um, my disability insurance. And part of the, the big reason is Texas has no state income tax. Got you. So I, I'm from California, but I don't claim that as home because uh, I am always worried that they would, they would, they would want a, an income tax on top of my work, even if it's in other states. Got you. So you completely live nomadic. You live in hotel to hotel or extended stay to extended stay. Yeah. But your actual like mailing address for licensing purposes, healthcare purposes, all of these different things are in one place, which is in Texas. Um, and that's where everything goes. Right. And I just have people I really trust down there. <laughs> so just just as a heads up for, for people listening, there's an app. Uh, there's multiple apps. They call virtual mailboxes. One thing to consider is you have your there's this you you apply for this service. It's really cheap. It's like ninety nine bucks or like a hundred bucks a year, and you have your mail sent to this virtual place. They open up the mail. First of all, they'll scan your envelope. They'll send you a note and say, "Hey, you know this is what you got. Do you want us to open it, or do you want us to trash it, or do you want us to mail it to you?" And it's all through your phone. You can send it to them, and if you say, "Yeah, I want you to scan it," they'll scan it in and send it to you, and you can read it. Right. Um, or if they trash it, they'll trash it for you or they can literally not open it, put another stamp on it and send it to whatever address that you have or that you're at. So they call that virtual mailboxes. A lot of people do that with real estate. Um, if they have like a real estate rental property, a lot of people do that with businesses. So just something as a heads up, Dr. Trevor, and all the people listening, like you can kind of now technology's kind of caught up to this nomadic lifestyle where you can keep up with with these type of things. So I'm, I'm interested. So right now. Um, with your loans, um, I saw that you were able to make a significant dent in your private loans. Is that correct? Yeah. So I had, uh, like 115 in private loans, mm -hmm. paid those off last year. Okay. So um, you paid that off in a year, basically. I paid it off in half a year. Cause I, you know, like I said, I don't consider real money coming in until June of 2021, probably. Mm -hmm. So I paid that off last year. And, um, as of right now, I'm down to under six figures, a little under six figures. Congratulations, left. man. Congratulations. So, so, you've de so you've decided not to do PSLF. You decided to just pay off your loans right. um, so, at your own pace. So that's why going back to that, you know, to, to give like, a, you know, total arbitrary numbers, if you're doing an academic center and they are paying you $100,000 a year, right? But you have to do work there for 10 years to pay off your loans at uh, the minimum payments. 
that's one option. But if you're going to be making 300,000 to do locums and you're able to pay more aggressively, then, you know, there's, I think the question that comes down that people have to think about individually is how much money are you truly going to save if you have loan forgiveness in 10 years? You know, like that's the thing. It, it, for some people, do if they have a million dollars in loans, then doing the minimum payments for 10 years, they're going to save hundreds of thousands of dollars. But if you only have $20,000 in loans, doing the minimum payments for 10 years, is like, you're not going to, you're going to save like a thousand bucks. Like what's the yeah. And I also think it's lifestyle is also related and where you want to be. Like, do you yeah. want to be at a certain type of hospital? Do you want to be in a certain type of location? Do you want, like, what do you want to do with your life over the next 10 years? Do you want that attached to something or yeah. do you want to kind of be freely mobile? And that was what me and my wife kind of thought about too, was like, well, we don't know what kind of, we don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years, but I damn sure know that those 10 years, I don't want it to, I don't want loans to be a major part of it. That's how we thought about it. And with that thought process, that's why we decided to go ham on our loans early so that we can get it out of the way. So whether yeah. we've decided to have kids, whether we decided to um, you know, travel or what have you, we at that point realized that, you know what, I just don't want loans, whatever thought process that may be, to be in that mathematics. Now, that's not for everybody. Everybody looks at it differently. You can skin a cat multiple ways. We just let people know how we go and how it worked for us. But appreciate your... Your, your, your honesty on that. So, I mean, it's, it's yeah. true. You know, I mean, so I was sitting at a bar the other night. I was listening to the people next to me. And they're like, they're, uh, they're definitely in the, these women that were probably in their later 30s, early 40s, still talking about their loans and how it's yeah. the problem. I'm just like, that's not, <laughs> and I'm just laughing to myself because I'm like, huh, I'm not going to have that issue. <laughs> right, right. Now, let's, let's ask you about this. So you, you think that probably projected maybe realistically the next five years, you'll get your federal loans all taken care of? No, projected the next five months, I'll be out of debt. Damn. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Good. Good. No, hundred. And so that's the thing, right? So I'm saving by the fact that, you know, I don't have to think about the other utilities. So I guess to give a, a good perspective here, I, you, I only spend about 10% of my adjusted gross income on life. I mean, on, on, we're talking food, we're talking uh, vacation, we're talking um, my disability insurance, my health insurance, 10% all of that goes into only 10% of the actual money that's coming in. Um, so, you know, I have to think about taxes, of course, but outside of that, I mean, that's a good majority versus a good, uh, sorry, a very small amount versus if I had a, a rent and apartment in places to, to live and all that, I'd probably be spending more closer to 20, 30% of my income to, to take care of my life. So I think that's where I'm able to shift so much of everything. Of every dollar I make, I can shift closer to 70% of that straight to loans or, you know, 50%, I guess, okay. um, straight to loans. All right. Let's, let's talk about lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. So you work, um, you're, you're working pretty hard. You're saying, um, who's making your schedule? You or is it the hospital that's making your schedule? Who makes your schedule? <laughs> Come on. That's why we do locums. I do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> Okay. And that's what I tell all everybody I talk to. So there's pros and cons for how I tell people this, but the way I set it up is I try to set up, and it's changed over a couple of years of doing this. I set it up so that I work like blocks of time in certain places and we're not flip-flopping super frequently. Um, currently, my job, for example, in Maine, I'm here for roughly about uh, three weeks at this particular job, I've talked to the uh, director and she's super nice and super cool with giving me days off in between 
these like stints of work. So today I'm off, for example. Um, some jobs I will intentionally work that eight or nine days in a row, and then I'll just schedule off a couple of days afterwards. And I'll make that schedule and I'll account for traveling myself, like my travel days, and I'll make sure to, to tailgate every job with a day off and a travel day. So, so you, okay, go ahead, please go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so at the most extreme, um, and I don't, I try to be more I, over time since I've become less reliant on the need for money to survive. But over time, I've I've gotten a little bit more relaxed. But last year, it was a point where, uh, man, I finished work at 7 a.m. in Central Maine and started uh, on Monday and then started 7 a.m. on Tuesday in New Mexico. And I, I was working like real hard, but now it's like I'll schedule one days off. Okay. So what's the longest break you ever took? working out of residency? Like once you started working locums now consistently, what's the longest break you've ever taken? Yeah. Uh, longest intentional break after I started having consistent work. Oof. I mean, I think it was this past month. I took like five, five days off. <laughs> Bro. All right. So then that leads to my next question. Do you yeah. think that you're working too much? Right. Let's talk about resident life versus attending life, because as a resident, you know, there's duty hours, right? There's a certain amount of hours that you're going to work and then that's it. When you're in attending, I'm sure you've realized, like you mentioned before, there's 72 hours straight and you possibly may be working, but that's your schedule. You said that you set it up that way. Um, you don't necessarily have, well, excuse me, you don't have to work that way at all. You chose to work that way. Correct. But I'm concerned. Like, let's talk to the people about, do you think you're working too much right now versus how it could be? For me personally, oh, hell yeah. But part of why I set myself up for it was that in my head, um, since my 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 view is pointed towards fellowship, I didn't want to lose too much of the mojo. So you know, I've realized when I have too many days off, I'm I, I see it. Like I'm off today. I'm gonna go eat lobster, sit at the beach in Maine. That's what I'm gonna do, and it's nice. And I'm enjoying those days off that I didn't have residency. But I I, I try not to get too much towards that, only because I want to keep up the momentum to go back to trading. So that's my personal thought on it right now. So do, do you feel like, because in, in many respects, I think you're probably putting in more, you don't think it is, but you're probably putting in more hours as an attending than you are as a as a resident. Um, I am putting in more hours some sometimes. So it depends on what the job is. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, last year, I worked 26 consecutive days on call in Huntsville, Texas. Mm -hmm. I went into the hospital for a total of maybe five or six hours. Mm hmm so I was on call that time and uh, yeah, being on call mentally was, that was different. That it counts. counts it counts. But at the same time, if you're able to, at that, if you're able to separate it and to be able to do things outside the hospital, being on call, it was a little bit different than being a, as a resident, I guess, you know, like I didn't have to physically be in the hospital. So it felt different, um, but I definitely am working more. Um, but the difference of course, and I, I've talked to people about this is I get paid for it. <laughs> so like, sure. yeah, that's, that's where it's, it's not, it's something where I excuse it. Um, and I actually, that part of that 72 hour job I told you about, it's a bigger, it's, it's part of a bigger picture. I worked six days in New Mexico, which 120 hours were in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot, but, um, you know, I do it partially for the challenge too. Maybe I'm just, you know, psychotic or something, but, uh, it, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, for the, for the, for the folks, Yo, th that are listening, you know, one of the best things of what Dr. Trevor said is he makes his own schedule and you can decide how many days in a row you want to work or how many days a month you want to work. If you want to do like 10 in a row, 14 in a row or 
however long in a row, you decide that you make that choice up to you. Um, and it's unlike residency where someone is keeping track of that and putting a hard stop on how long you're going to work. And I think one of the, that's one of the big things, I think, looking back in terms of residency and attending life that I think we in residency do a poor job of is preparing you for that difference in hour in uh, per hour, how many hours you're going to work as a, as an attending. And I don't know what the answer is, but I definitely think that, you know, if we do resident work hours, which work, but then we are putting them in a situation or in the outside world where there aren't any work hour limitations, there's a bit of a disconnect. And I don't know what the answer is, right? Like it's, you're, you're, you're preparing them for safety in one area, but then you're graduating them into a place where nobody's keeping track of their hours. And I can say as, a, as an attending, I put in more hours as an attending than I do as, as I, than I did as a resident. So, so I'll, go ahead, please. Go I was going to say, especially as a surgeon, yeah. Like, especially as a surgeon. You know, you know. So I, I don't, to this day, I don't know what the answer is, right? I do think that the way how we're training residents is correct, but also at the same time, I don't know, just because we're training them correct doesn't mean that we're preparing them correct, if you know what I'm saying, right? Like, right. if you're putting them in a world where there's no resident work hours, then why are we training them with resident work hours? But you actually do need resident work hours because you don't want them tired. So it's just, it's it's weird. I don't know the answer to that, but that's just something to to think about and something that now that I'm 10 years out is very, very interesting. So, so overall, mm-hmm. overall, overall, Dr. Dr. Cabrera, what kind of lifestyle do you want? Let's talk about it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I want to be financially, like, not tied to loans. I think that's, that's because that's obviously my my big priority here. Now I'll say like um, one thing I forgot to mention on why I work so much is this by by doing by working this many days this is how I get the the locum agencies to cover all of my housing because mm. normally they're only going to cover the I day before. I love it. Give me more. Give me more. Come yeah. On. So the the strategy right the strategy is they're going to cover the day before the day after the job assignment dates um, and so. I, I think historically they used to cover more than that. I don't know. You could correct me if I'm wrong, but now I think people are a little bit more stingy on that. So if I'm working Monday through set, set Sunday, they're going to cover the Sunday before until the Monday after. Perfect. The day before or day after. That goes for the rental. That goes for the hotel. And then the flights, I'm able to kind of uh, schedule that differently. So to give you a real example right now, June 14th, last week, I took four days off. What I did was I used the local agency to fly from California to Maine. And then I, on my own dime, um, I spent three days on vacation, but then I picked up another rental under the agency to come back into the hotel to work for my couple of weeks. And then when I leave, I'm going to fly out on the agency and go back to wherever I'm going. So there's that part of it. Um, and that's why I, I schedule so close to close back to back piggyback jobs. Um, and the big point to, to point out to that, you know, because like we travel hacking, that's what well, yeah, it is. It, it is travel hacking to talk about a little bit to give people a little bit more of a number. Um, and, and then we talked about it before, but um, I worked 300, I traveled 320 days last year. And this year it is June 14th and I have traveled, I believe something like 180, like two hundred eighty. So you're ahead of schedule. Yeah. yeah but but that's how many days I've been, I've been traveling. Now the question is what kind of, li- and I go back to your, what kind of lifestyle? So the unseen other benefits, right? My plan, if everything worked out, I would apply to fellowship right now. I would match into fellowship next year. Um, I mean, and I go back and forth, so, you know, don't hold me to that because I do like, I do love this lifestyle, but the plan is next year, I'm, I'm planning to take off a whole month and I'm going to travel probably Europe or somewhere else purely on all of the, the 2 million points that I've accumulated by living in hotels. 
Longer. So at this point, you know, I make a it lot longer, of Doctor Trevor. Yeah, yeah, that's the Give thing. Yourself, like, make it two months. Huh? <laughs> make it two months. Nobody's I, checking on you, bro. No, no, no. You I, deserve I might, it. No, no. I might, I might do some. I might do some things. But I'm saying that, like, you know, just the point being that with this lifestyle, what people don't remember, they think about all the time. And sometimes people ask me, is the points. I mean, what I'll usually do is I have an America. I have a card that's a Hilton Honors card, credit card. I'll pay for the the hotel on the Hilton card. I'll get points for that, and then I'll get reimbursed. <laughs> from the agency. <laughs> so, so I end up getting like triple quadruple points on a hotel stay. And it puts me in a, in a point now that I could, I could literally go to Europe for probably you're right. Two months, just purely on the points. So I would, it'd be like a paid vacation other than the food. That's Trevor. I think you, I think you should extend it out to two months. Don't, don't <laughs> just do it. It's okay. Like nobody is checking for you. There's nobody who's going to check a box, give yourself the time, the grace to take however time that you want off. So, yeah. well, listen, this was a really dope conversation. And, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, I've, I've wanted to hearken back to what the attending said, that if you go from job to job to job to job, that possibly could be, you know, maybe a poor reflection on who you are as a pediatrician. And I can say that um, as, an, as 10 years out, I had that same conversation with attendings and I'll leave it to you like this. Those same attendings have called me several times over the last, I'd say, three uh, years asking, hey, what company did you go with? Yeah. Hey, how did you <laughs> set yourself up with locums? Yep. Hey, I'm sick and tired of X, Y, and Z. Can, I, can you teach me how you're doing locums? Hey, blah, 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 blah. I think that a lot of people make comments. And I know your attending did locums. But I think you know it really comes down to individually who you are. Who, are you going to be able to – like what kind of – you know, what kind of panache are you going to bring when you come to a job, right? Because I think just saying that if you go to locums, you're going to have this dark shade on you. You know, I think that that's the wrong perspective to give residents, right? I think there are multiple ways to skin a cat and there's multiple ways to practice. And um, I'm really glad that you heard all that information and you decided still to try this out, right? And now you're you're still, you're thriving in it now. Yeah. And I want to just, one more thing to say, add on to that. So, so I've loved it for a bunch of reasons. It's not for everyone. Right. It, it, like you said, we do. I do it to the extreme. You can do it, but the best part is you can do it how you want to. I've been I've been learning so much. I've learned these contract negotiations. I've seen. I've worked in a dozen hospitals in the time that all my friends have worked in maybe one job. You know, there's just parts that go to it. But at the same part, same point, something I've noticed with being dropped into places, man, in my head, and I, I maybe it's a grandiose idea, but in my head, we're we're like freaking special ops. And it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, I can yeah. do stuff and I, I I can do things in some ways that like other people are like, how did you do that? I got an orientation at a hospital at a quaternary care children's hospital from 9am to 12pm. And I got thrown in just like helicopter dropped in 8pm start, starting that night as the nocturnist. Like I, I can do that, right? I can learn an EMR in two hours. I can I can be flexible and adaptable. They call us in where for jobs where they can't find people. They call us in for jobs that need someone that can be quick, they can learn fast. And if anything, I think it sets us up as more attractive candidates for the future. 
Because that's the thing. People ask me now for jobs. They're like, can you do this? I said, yes. Or I can figure it out immediately. <laughs> I don't need to go through your two weeks of orientation. You give me 30 minutes and, and we can, I can hit the ground running anywhere. Absolutely. Just like falling out of a helicopter. So that's, that's kind of like in my head that the way I think about it. So that's, that's kind of where, where I've been. And that's why I, I love being the, uh, it's the nomadic pediatrician. You know, that's like the. Tell them where the, it's at. Tell them where it's at. How did they yeah, find you it? You know, I, so if anyone's listening for that, the, uh, my blog where I've got a lot of, uh, a lot of things on locums, my travels, and also a, uh, I've got a brewery map and pictures of all the food I cook in these hotels, which is awesome, but it's the, uh, the nomadic pediatrician.com. Um, try to just keep things, you know, real and show people what you th- your life can be like if you make the choice to, to like, uh, you know, live it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get it. And I think that's, we're going to leave it at that. It's the life that you want if you decide to live it, right? And I think that that's a huge change from residency where you feel like you're just trying to survive and you feel like you are under the thumb of somebody else. And as a resident, excuse me, as once you finish and you you have an attending, um, you're at an attending level, whether you decide to do private practice or you're working on your own or you're doing locums, it's really, you know, you make the decision as to what you're going to do. So, hey, I appreciate this um, this talk. This was really dope, Dr. Trevor. And Listen, I hope to hear from you next year when you're doing your two months off somewhere <laughs> uh, on a train in Spain or wherever you are in the channel or something dope and let us know how you're doing, all right? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. All right, man. Take care. All right, have a good one. Hey guys, thanks again for listening as well as supporting Docs Outside the Box. Listen, this show is produced by Darko Media Group and the dope audio experience is edited by the one, the only Christian Parry, also known as your podcast pal. Links to him in the show notes. Listen, this is Dr. Nee, the Doc Outside the Box. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.